Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. Now, before I go any further today, I just want to apologize for my croaky voice. It's what happens when you teach little ones how to swim and you start the shift and your your uh, voice probably wasn't the best to begin with anyway. So please bear with me with this intro today. But again, before we get stuck into this week's episode, I want to remind you of and also invite you along to an exciting and free ideas bombing event that I'll be speaking at this Thursday, which will probably be in a day's time or two days time, depending when you're listening to this. But this Thursday, May 18, here in my hometown of Newcastle. The wonderful team behind Idea Bombing have partnered with Hunter Innovation Festival and are hosting an event which is themed around the idea of ideas to innovation. If you're interested in innovation or creating change, I think you're really going to love this event as ideas that are generated will then be used in the Hunter Hackfest, which is kicking off the following night. I'll be speaking about innovation through simplicity and discussing how sometimes we need space in life to achieve clarity. Also speaking at the event is Sarah Pearson, who was the recently appointed Pro Vice-Chancellor of Industry, Engagement and Innovation at the University of Newcastle, and Christina Gerageddes, who is the producer of the Hunter Innovation Festival and the CEO and Chief Enabler at Ideation at Work. As I mentioned, it's a free event, but you do need to register as spots are limited. I'll have all the information in the show notes and on my events page at liveimmediately.com. Or if you Google idea bombing Newcastle, I'm sure all the information will come up there too. It's set to be a super fun night and I'm really excited to weave in the philosophies of living more with less into the notion of innovation. So Thursday, May 18 at the Edwards on Parry Street and everything kicks off around 5.30. I really hope to see you there if you're in the neighborhood. Now on to this week's episode and just warning you in advance that you probably will need to grab the tissues for this one. I know that I did. I had a beautiful conversation with Hope Zavara, who has experienced the most heartbreaking of things any parent could go through. But what I truly admire about Hope is how she decided to learn the most wonderful lessons throughout her ordeals. In this episode, Hope describes the eating disorder she had during her younger years, the message we observe in our childhood, and how the yoga mat became a safe place for her to practice how to live life again. There are some things we should never experience. And having your child die in your arms would have to be at the top of that list. As you'll hear, I was moved deeply when Hope shared her story of her first daughter, Faith, and how she only lived in this world for 20 minutes. Something that I feel would be the hardest thing for any parent to go through. But how Hope reframed this situation to herself believing that there has to be a reason for this, is simply beautiful. Hope saw the death of her daughter Faith as a sign that Faith had sacrificed herself so Hope could fix her illness, look after her body, and go on and have a family of three beautiful, healthy children. I'm sure this episode is going to touch many people in different ways. I know after finishing the interview, I hugged and kissed Andy and Inga, 
very grateful that they are both healthy and part of my life. For all the wonderful Live Immediately podcast listeners, Hope has also generously offered one week free from her monumental clarity clearing mental clutter mini course. I'll make sure that the link to this uh, free week is in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. If you're after personalized affirmations to clear the mental cobwebs, personalized workbooks to help you get through the roots of your blocks, guiding breathing practices to enhance your experiences in your daily life, easy, effective, mindful movement practices, perfect for all bodies and abilities to help you learn how to live in your body again. As you'll hear in this podcast, uh, yoga and movement and body is a really big thing for hope. But uh, if you're after all of those things, and I highly suggest that you give this free week a try. Uh, as I said, I'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. But now onto this week's podcast, and I really think that you're going to love this one. I, I know that I did for so many different reasons. So here is my tear-filled conversation with Hope Zavara. Hi Hope, how are you? I am fabulous. That is so good, and I'm really excited to be talking to you today. But before we get stuck into this, I'd just love to know whereabouts in this beautiful world are you today? Uh, from the most wonderful state in the United States, uh, Wisconsin. <laughs> Happy days. I don't know whether you know this or not, but I actually spent four months in the north woods of Wisconsin, up in Ashland County, for uh, when um, my family and I went on a big uh, adventure around North America for a year and we stayed in a place called Clam Lake, which had a, a population of 37 people. So I am a massive fan of Wisconsin. Amazing. Yeah, that's about, I'd say, just a few hours north of where I am. So um, I'm just a little bit north of Milwaukee, Wisconsin for listeners. And uh, where I live, it would be up north for all of the Chicagoans. So, so, um, so yes, yeah, a beautiful area right now. We're in spring and the trees are blooming. The birds are chirping. It's just gorgeous. Oh, happy days. But I really wanted to chat to you today, Hope, because you live <clears throat> life with such beautiful optimism and you just seem to really love life and it's something that I'm naturally drawn to and, and simply love but I also know that this hasn't been the case for you um, for your entire life and and growing up in your your younger years I know that you had to battle with an eating disorder and if you don't mind I know we're kind of starting quite at, quite in the deep end here but if you could take me back to that moment in your life and and maybe what it was that you think that really started that spiral in your life. Yeah. Um, well, if if anyone knows anything about addiction, um, some people talk about addiction as a disease, but really I look at it as it's a coping mechanism. And so um, when I look back at my life, I really have to go all the way back to my childhood. And although I grew up with a very loving family and I have three awesome sisters and, and we still have a very close-knit family even today, I grew up with a parental figure that didn't have a very good self-worth and a very good self-talk. And what he would project out was something that I was observing my whole entire life. And although the words that were said to me were always, you know, you can do anything and, and don't listen to other people and be unique, that wasn't the message that I was observing. And so I kind of found myself early in my teenage years 
kind of feeling the same way that my parental figure felt about himself, that I was kind of a nobody and that uh, no one would like me and that I was never good enough. And um, one thing that I've learned about eating disorders is, or really addiction in general, is it's a method to control things when you feel like you can't control things. And I felt like I couldn't control my life. I couldn't control the outcomes, actions and reactions of others, but I could control food. And so um, really looking back, I would definitely say that uh, how it is that we act around our children, especially now having kids myself, not just what we say to them is so pivotal to how it is that they develop into adults. It's really interesting there that you talk about what you observe as a child, because it's as a parent, you know, we, we often forget that, that our, that our actions do speak louder than words and that our little ones are watching us the whole time. And even though we can be encouraging to them, they are looking at us and observing us even when we think that they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do you think it was that helped you really fight your way and, and overcome that, that eating disorder? Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I would say in my late teens, n not quite out of high school yet, I uh, yoga kind of fell into my lap. And at one point, I was like, what is yoga? I I'd never even heard about it. I guess maybe I lived a sheltered life. Um, but <laughs> but, um, but there was something about that first class that I took. And I, at the time, was still knee deep in an eating disorder. Um, didn't really fully realize the extent to what I was dealing with, but I knew that I wasn't happy. Um, at one point I tried to take my life. I, I knew that I didn't fit in and, and I knew that, that what I was doing was not healthy, but I didn't know what to do about it. And I was very ashamed about it. And that first class in yoga, I will never forget that class. Something happened when I walked out the door of that yoga room. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I don't have any eating disorder thoughts right now. I wasn't thinking about next binge and purge. I wasn't thinking about how much I hated myself. Like I actually had a clear mind and I was content for the first time. And I don't even remember how long. And after that, I was hooked. So many people are hooked because it's like they love how their physical body feels. For me, the first experience was how much I realized I needed to get out of my head. And that was really kind of the first step of feeling like there was hope for me. Wow. And, and what do you think it was about the yoga that, that got you to that point? You know, honestly, there's, there's so many different styles of yoga and approaches to yoga, especially in today's world. But it was the getting quiet, learning how to breathe, which I realized those first few classes, I held my breath a lot. And people that hold their breath have a lot of anxiety. And that was totally me. And so I really realized that I needed to learn to breathe more. And just the moving in my body, not really the poses or how fast we moved, but rather just how it felt to actually be alive in my body. And that's the best way I can describe it, was just so incredibly relieving and fulfilling all at the same time. Like I felt like I was somebody, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Like yoga has been one of those things that I've heard about and I've, I've had done a few classes when I've was going to the gym and things like that, but I kind of never really understood it. I kind of, mm -hmm. I, you know, my wife would go to yoga and she'd come back red as a, 
as a tomato and, and she'd be sweating and she'd love it. And I'd go and I'd, I'd nearly be falling asleep. I thought it was like, is people just stretching for 45 minutes here? So why, why is there such a difference with that? Yeah, you know what? Um, I think from my own perspective, because there's so many different angles and um, different philosophies and different teachings that we can get from yoga. Um, there's what we call bhakti yoga, which is very kind of uh, what we'd call like the yoga of devotion, a lot of prayer, um, singing. And then there is more of like a, an, an asana based yoga or just really heavy on postures. And I think that's what our culture has kind of grabbed onto right now, where, it, you know, there's hot yoga and power yoga and vinyasa yoga. Um, and then there's heart opening yoga and yin yoga. And so there's so many different styles. And I think what's maybe happened, and it's not a bad thing, is that, you know, a teacher or a group of teachers has kind of caught on to one thing about yoga, mm -hmm. and they've really loved that and just kind of focused on that. But for me, and how I approach yoga, yoga is really about taking your life and putting it in what I call the incubator, which is a yoga mat. And on our mat, when we just slow down, and just kind of learn how to be in our body, you know, where our shoulders belong, where our hips belong, how to move in a very healthy and respectful way, um, something really magical happens. And we really start to reflect and go, oh my gosh, this anxiety I'm having in this pose is the same anxiety that I have before I give a big presentation. Mm. Or, oh my gosh, I'm holding my breath here. You know, I hold my breath all the time when I'm about to do something really difficult in my life. And we start to see these mirrors. and I think of yoga, and, and this was what it was for me, it was a safe place to practice how to live life again. Wow. That's a pretty cool place to be. Yeah. And, you know, you, you talked there about, you know, describing the yoga mat. It, it seems like, in, in a sense, a form of meditation for you. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's what I would call a moving meditation. Um, when I look at yoga and the yoga that I know and the yoga that I teach and practice, you know, every movement has to mean something to me. Just like when I live my everyday life, I, I feel like I've gotten so many second chances in life that um, when I do something, I'm going to do it because I feel like there's purpose and there's value. And that's the same way that I teach. I'm not going to put someone in a pose where it's just like, okay, this is really cool, but what value does it add to your life? How is it going to improve who you are as a person and an and asset to humanity? And um, so I just try to think about really approaching the postures and, and yoga that way, just like I would approach life. And, it, you know, just hearing it in your voice, obviously yoga is, is a huge part of you. And, and it's, it's definitely been that, that catalyst of a lot of change in your life. How then, when you were kind of going through all of that struggle in your previous life, let's call it, or that previous, mm -hmm. those earlier years, and you, you kind of spoke earlier about that shame and kind of living with that shame. How did you kind of really push through those hard times? You know, um, that's interesting because I was just reflecting on that a little bit before um, our chat today. And, you know, shame is an interesting thing. And for me, one thing I continually go back to when I self-reflect is it was a connection to my higher purpose and my higher power. And, um, for me, always realizing that, you know, hope if you weren't, if you weren't here on this earth, 
then your purpose wouldn't be here anymore. Like if you're alive, if you're still breathing, there's purpose for you. There's there's a mission that you have to accomplish. There's a reason why you're here. Like you have to remember that. And having experienced death firsthand in my life already um, at the ripe age of 33, <laughs> um, I really believe that if we're still alive, there's purpose for us. And so that was something that was always going through my head. You know, the, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, Hope. You just have to keep going. Like there, there is purpose for you. There's a reason why this happened. I, I don't know it yet, but I, I believe that there was a voice telling me, like, just keep going. Don't give up. But like, like within that, though, to, to have that, that belief and that understanding to, to not give up, mm-hmm. even though you were in the middle of something horrible is is pretty special or or as we're looking back are the lines kind of blurred in a sense did did a lot of that that positive talk come through yoga or was it that positive talk talk that took you to yoga i think honestly it's a combination of both Mm. um because i had been struggling with food probably as early as I can think of as the age of 13. And I didn't find yoga till about 17. Um, and I think for me, looking back, I, I grew up in a family that, you know, we had a good f- faith, you guess you could say. And my parents always, you know, reminded us we can be anything that we want in life and and to never give up and that we're unique. Um, and so even though I was told all those things, I didn't believe it. But in the back of my head, there was some unwritten written rule kind of saying, hey, Hope, you have this foundation, which goes back to, I believe, parenting and again, how you're brought up and, and how you're spoke to. Um, but honestly, if I can just kind of like say a little, a little something, um, really just kind of bluntly and honestly, I believe I've been put here on this earth for a reason. And I think that we all have, but I I truly believe that I have a message to share with people or I wouldn't be here today. I I honestly believe that. Mm. And you, you also kind of touched on earlier that you were exposed to death at a young age when you were 32 and do you mind telling me about that story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my husband and I, uh, we've been married for, it's going to be, let's see, uh, 11 years, uh, 12 years, actually, I think. And um, when we were 21, right after we had gotten married, we unexpectedly got pregnant. And I was newly in recovery. I didn't even think I could get pregnant with all the damage I did to my body. Um, but surprise, uh, we were pregnant and at 29 weeks pregnant, uh, we got news that was absolutely devastating to any new parent. And we were told that, um, our unborn child was not going to make it, that there was severe birth abnormalities that were not treatable. And so that there was no positive outcome, regardless of how long, um, I would have had her, uh, incubating, let's call it. And so at 29 weeks pregnant, we chose to deliver early and our daughter Faith was born and she lived for 20 minutes and died in my arms. And every time I think back to that time, I still to this day don't have any words to describe the feeling that I felt holding my daughter in my arms and knowing that this was the last time her heart was going to beat. But I think feel, again, going back to having survived a life-strangling eating disorder, the first thought in my mind was, there has to be a reason for this. 
And although I went through a very um, deep grieving process, and, and I believe that we we grieve our whole lives, it just continues to evolve. That was always the undertone after after losing her was there has to be a reason for this. There has to be a purpose. And um, looking back, I I firmly believe that she sacrificed her life so that I could have one. She really pushed me fully on into recovery, and she kind of forced me in a really great way to look at how I was treating my body and and really going, hey, Hope, you need to get your act together and you really need to take care of yourself so that you can have a family and you can help other people survive what what they might not be otherwise so lucky to. That is um, one of the hardest thing that I think that any parent would have to go through. And to... <clears throat> hear you talk about the sacrifice that that she gave for you to to look at it that way is just like, I'm so sorry but that, yeah that is like beautiful and and as a parent I, I have three beautiful children I have a, a eight-year-old boy Harper a six-year-old girl Meredith and a two-year-old son Ivan and she gave me those children we were told after she was born that the chance of this was happening was a million and one. And so whenever people say, you know, uh, what are the odds? It's like a million and one chances. And I always say, I've been that, I've been that one. Um, I know what that's like, but I do believe that um, she gave me life. She sacrificed her life. I believe that her plan with God was, was to do that for me. And I, every day I wake up, I am so grateful. And my kids and I have a relationship with her. And um, to this day, I always wanted them to know who their sister was and, and know, you know, what, know what happened and know, uh, you know, kind of what life and death really mean. And from early on, I would tell my kids, you know, your, your sister lives in heaven and, and she's a butterfly. And when you see a butterfly, know that it's faith coming to say hi and that she's watching over for you. And my children still to this day, when butterflies come around, they squeal with delight mommy, mommy, it's Faith. She's here to say hi. And it's, that touches my soul. And I feel like she has done more for me and my family and my children and the lives of people around me than she could have other, ever done otherwise. And when I say that, unless you've gone through what I've gone through, some people will hear that and go, oh, how could you say that? And, and what I mean by that is she did the most selfless thing. I feel like any person could ever do and she gave me she gave me my life back is what she did wow um thank you for for sharing that in in honestly such a beautiful way i think to to look at it in that way and to be able to teach your children the beauty in their older sister is is really something beautiful. As you can see, I'm, I'm quite speechless here, but that, like, thank you. Thank you. No, absolutely. And to, and to the listeners out there, and this is something I have a conversation with with my eight, six, and two-year-old often is, you know, death is not a scary, bad thing. Death is the accomplishment of what we came here on this earth to do. And I look at her life day, which is coming up here May 23rd, as a celebration for 
what she's given me, but also for my own life. And I, I feel like she's also given me a new perspective on dying and on death and, and on how we should look at life. And for that, I am eternally grateful. And I love that too. Life day. That is, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you got to stop all this. <laughs> really, I'm, running, <laughs> I'm, running, I'm running out of tissues on this end. Um, but like w- within that, like I, I can see, obviously, even though she was only in this world for the shortest of moments, she has had, and she being faith has had such, you know, a beautiful life changing in in a sense, her life day became your life day, and exactly. and she was able to 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 teach you all of these things, and mix kind of that in with with you know what you were kind of going through and and learning about yoga and all those kinds of things. What do you feel has been that big lesson that that faith reminds you of continuously through life? To never lose hope, to no matter how hard life gets, to never lose hope, that there is purpose in everything and that we have a choice to choose to see that purpose in the darkest of days when we don't want to and we just want to like pull the covers over our head and say, I'm done, I'm done. And I've done that plenty of times. But I truly believe and I am living proof of that in so many different ways that we cannot lose hope, that we cannot lose hope. It, it's it's interesting. I, I have three sisters and Heather, Jessica and Lindsay, you know, pretty average names for the 80s. And my parents stuck hope in the middle of all that. And, you know, I, I remember growing up thinking, I hate my name. I hate that you name this. Why can't you just name me Jill? <laughs> and uh I am so thankful and I, and I feel like that is the message I've been given to share with everybody from the moment I was born and the moment I was brought into this world was for people to realize no matter how hard it gets, I've chanced death so many times. I should not be here. I, I've watched my daughter die in my arms and I keep living because there's a message I want to share with people that their life has value. Their life has purpose. Your life, if you're listening to this, has value, has purpose in your own unique way. And I, I believe that to the ends of the earth and from the bottom of my heart. And when you're talking to people, why, why do you think they've lost hope? Or why do you feel, why do you think that they, they have this feeling of, of non-value? You know, I think I think there's a lot of reasons, but ones that I can definitely relate to are oftentimes and and we live in a culture, I think, right now that is really struggling with this is we start to compare ourselves to other people and we start to think that, you know, well, they're doing something really amazing. And, you know, here I am doing, you know, whatever, you know, my my value now is devalued and we start comparing our purposes and all of a sudden we start to devalue our purpose. And I, like I said, I grew up with a parent that did that his whole life. And as a result, um, that wasn't the message I think he wanted to give us as children, but that was the message that I, I followed. 
And I think that that's one thing that we as a culture really struggle with is, is always feeling as though we have to kind of measure up to something rather than believe that we're here just to be the exact person we're supposed to be. Look at children. You know, it, we start asking them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. Like who they are is not good enough already. Mm. It's so true. Where really all they're doing is playing and being curious. Mm-hmm. And we as adults, you know, if we look at, and this is something I try to teach my students and people that I work with, you know, what are you passionate about? What do you love? What are you good at? What comes natural to you? You know, that's your gifts. That's what you were put on this earth to do. And for me, I have always loved to speak. Uh, my parents used to say that I'd walk into the grocery store and, and I would be like a magnet for other kids. They just want to be by me and, and, and play with me. And I love to write. I love to speak and I love to write. And it just so happens that I have been given some tragedies to be able to make light of them and to be able to see the good in them so I can help others do the same through my gifts and talents, which are speaking and writing. And for many people, they're like, oh, how can you make a living writing? And, and you know, you got to get a real job. And, and no, this is what my purpose here is for. And this is what I'm going to do. And I really encourage other people to step back and, and ask themselves that question and to not be afraid of what the answer is. And when we are living our lives, we can often feel that our lives are already too full and we're, we're juggling the busyness of, of life and work and, and everything in between. And, and you kind of mentioned there that you, you work with people and, and, and also organizations and kind of from a productivity level, how do we kind of push through that, that stress? How do we, you know, cause when we have that stress, like surely that is going to have this, this great effect on our work. And, and I've, I've seen on your website that you do run a, a workshop and I, and I do love the title from employee stress to workplace success, <laughs> which is beautiful because it's so true because often we forget that workplaces, organizations are just made up of humans. We, we, we kind of forget that there is that human element within work, but what are some of the strategies that, that you do teach to help people manage that process, manage and juggle that stress to kind of push through into that successful element? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it all falls back to um, my three pillars, which are the three Bs, breath, body, belief. So whether I'm going into a corporate workspace or I'm going into a school, or I'm teaching people at my yoga studio, these I believe are the three pillars or the three benchmarks that we need to address in order to really be present in our lives and in our bodies and, and experience life to the fullest. And so when I go in um, to a workplace and, and I teach this workshop, and the first thing I get people to do is I check in with their breathing. The average person breathes with less than 18% of their lung capacity. And so basically I equate that to clavicle breathing. And when you're breathing that shallow, you're looking at anxiety, you're looking at depression, you're looking at um, even things like asthma, headaches, um, eye strain, all these things that are taking people out of the workplace. And so I always tell people breathing is free. It is the, the easiest thing to prescribe to someone because it, you have it all the time. It, you just choose to take it away from yourself or not. So having people learn how to breathe, and we can just do this right now in, in literally 20 seconds, is if you just sit up really tall and place one hand on your lower belly and one hand on your chest, 
And as you inhale, work to feel the lower belly expand into your hand and feel the chest rise. And as you exhale, work to let all the air out. And so I do this with people just for a minute, just a minute to help them realize that their breath, this is the first thing that you're given in this life and the last to be taken away. And your breath is the conductor for so many of your systems in your body. It helps regulate oxygen to your brain, blood to your heart. It's going to help with your endocrine system, your lymphatic system. It's going to help reduce stress, which 80% of people in the workplace claim to have stress simply related to their workload. So if we can get people in the workspace, I don't care if you work from home or you work with a big company, just learning how to self-regulate their breathing, we can make such a big difference then on the outlook on our lives. And from that outlook, we can start to change how it is that we live in our bodies. So it's a trickle effect. And we can start to change our mindset, which is our belief system. So all of these things are tied together simply by teaching people how to breathe. Wow. I feel like I've said that a lot in this, this podcast. But I, <laughs> I, I love what you said there. That, and it's so true. Like the breath is the first thing that we get in life. And it's the last thing that's taken away. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, and along with that, you know, I talk about the body and, and number one thing I teach people in the workplace is posture because you can sit on the fanciest, most ergonomically correct chairs and standing desks you want. But if you don't even know how to be in your body, those chairs and standing desks are, aren't still going to do what they're supposed to do. So helping people realize, you know, how to stand on their own two feet and then, you know, kind of pointing them in directions to, you know, what are some really good office furniture and how to use their core, um, where, how it is simple stretches that they can do in the workplace for instant relief from wrist pain, carpal tunnel, neck strain, eye strain, um, it, it, you know, just so many little things that can add up to a really big thing. We often as a culture are thinking that fixes have to be huge and gigantic, like a cure for cancer, but really it's about the small things and the small changes to add up to something really big. And so the body is just, again, it's not trying to help reinvent the wheel. It's just showing people where the wheel is. Yeah, I agree. I always say that we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to change the tires every now and then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you, we've spoken earlier about your family and and. It's clear to me that family is really important to you. And you and your husband have decided to live on, on acreage so your children can run, climb, explore, and play until the sun goes down. Why was having space for your kids to roam such an important aspect for you and your husband? Uh, I believe that nature holds a healing element for us and that... For me, my husband and I have made a decision from early on. Like I said, our son is eight, almost nine. And uh, we decided that we would have no electronics in the home for our children. And so that means they've never owned an iPad. They um, do not have their own cell phone. They don't have video games. They, they get to watch a few television shows, but that's about the extent of it. And um, we have decided that they need to understand how to learn to be okay with themselves. They need to learn how to explore how to commune with nature, how to talk to God, that they need to know how to be confident in who they are and figure out what we like to call uh, um, self, 
self-gratifying or self-induced activities. So when they get older, you know, if it's just them living out in a village somewhere or, or they're single at home, you know, it's going to be hard to play soccer when there's no team. But you can go hiking by yourself. You can go out and you can meditate. You can you can do yoga. You can you can do all those things. So you need to learn how to be okay with who you are. And I feel like, feel that like childhood um, is that time for us to do that. Otherwise, we as adults wouldn't be struggling so much as we are to figure out who we are. Um, but, but the other thing is I feel for me personally, I want my kids to know where their food comes from. I want them to understand the cycle of life and death. I want them to have a respect for life itself. And that means going out and, and getting eggs from our chickens every day, but also understanding that if a chicken is injured or is old, that it, it is going to die. Um, we do butcher some of our chickens uh, for food so that they understand that the chicken just doesn't magically appear in the grocery store. Like this is what this animal is doing. It's sacrificing its life for you so that you can also have life and you need to be grateful for that. And I think when we expose our children to that, that they become more tolerant and more grateful and more respectful. Um, and, and also just watching the birds and, and growing food and, and the gratitude of getting your hands dirty. My son Harper is eight and He's still to this day, it's raining. He goes, can I go outside and play in the rain and mud? And we'll watch him out from the back window. And he's just taking his hands and mud and just dumping it on his head and, and running and just so carefree. And it's like, yes, that is the purpose of life. That is the purpose of childhood, of being absolutely free to be who you want to be. And like, have you had any struggles in a rural setting? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, we have predators as far as our animals go. We've had fox problems. And at one point we had, um, 18 pullets, which are kind of like a mid-sized chick. And it was mother's day. Actually, we went to my mom's house, thought, Oh, we're going to leave the, the, the cage uncovered. It's still nice that we came back and they were all gone. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, my, we have dogs and, and my kids go out and they explore. And I've learned as a mom, um, that I have had to go through a lot of self-trust, that I feel I have given my kids a lot more freedom and, and a lot less worry because we're kind of told in society, you know, <gasps> you know, oh, there's so much danger out there. Mm. And I've really learned that I have to let my kids go out and scrape their knee and, and fall down, you know, on the rock wall and uh, maybe even get lost. We don't have, we have about uh, 13 acres. And so I can hear them where they are, but they're like, ah. I can't, where do I go? <laughs> and they have to learn how to um, kind of self-strategize and, and, and go, okay, like I can do this. Mm -hmm. uh, poison ivy, all that kind of stuff. But I think those are just really great teaching tools for them and also for me as a parent to learn to let go because it's my job as a parent to guide them um, and keep them safe, not tell them what to do. Yeah, it's that that coaching over controlling it, and it's 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 really interesting. And, and, you, and you talk there about, you know, society saying that there are all these bad things in the world. One thing that I've done for about the last two years is I just actually stopped watching the news. Like, obviously, obviously, I, I know our current affairs and they kind of come into into my my social feeds and things like that. But I was just sick and tired of turning on the TV and just everybody wants to kill me. And it was just like, mm -hmm. that's 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 not the world that I live in because most of the people that I meet are lovely and all they want to do is help me. And so that's the, the choice that I made about going, you know what, I'm, 
I'm going to live in the happy world and um, I'm not going to listen to all those people that kind of want to pull it down. I absolutely agree. And I think that that is then reflected in the lifestyle then, because I don't think that you and I are the only ones out here. I'm pretty sure that there's some other people out here that, that agree with this and, and are trying to live this way. And, and is it easy? Yes and no. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Um, I, I wish I could grow hundred percent of my food and, and that, you know, my kids could, you know, be barefoot all the time, but, but Wisconsin winters kind of uh, get in the way of that a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> just a tad, but, but I do believe it is absolutely crucial for me in order for me to parent the way that I want to parent and believe that I, I was put on this earth to parent is to allow my kids to be themselves and to explore and to, um, have the iPad of life and that's um, outside the grass, the trees, the rocks, you know, all of that and just really be as close to nature as possible. I can there is make, no bad in that. Yeah, I 100%. I've never really heard anyone be in the middle of nature and, and be angry and upset. It's, it's quite impossible. But Hope, I have one final question for you today and it is a question that I ask all my guests on the podcast. And it's if you could please describe your perfect day. Awesome. That would be so easy. I would wake up and be able to, in the silence of my home, and if it was summer outside, um, and have a personal yoga practice or movement-based practice and a meditation, be able to have breakfast with my family and um, go out and feed our animals and play outside with my kids and just kind of love on them freely. No rushing here or there, no hustle or bustle. Um, have some time in my office space. I have this beautiful window. I get to look out into my backyard and just watch the squirrels and the birds and, and write. Uh, writing just feeds my soul. It's, it's like a singer sings. I love to write. And so having just time to be able to do that and self-reflect and, and as usual, as my kids would know, I love family walks. I am a big outdoor person. So be able to go for a hike or a family walk. And then finally, um, dinner with my friends and family outside and, and a campfire to end the night. I think that would be, for me, the perfect day. It sounds absolutely beautiful. It really does. And hopefully there'll be a time where I can join you at that campfire because I think it'd be a beautiful place to be. I love it. Absolutely love it. But Hope, I really, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you for your time today. I I spend a lot of time creating this podcast to help listeners learn from the journeys and the stories of people. And I selfishly do it so I can reach out to people like yourself and you know, we had never met before and I just kind of dropped you an email and you probably thought, who is this guy from Australia that wants to talk to me? But, you know, you, you've spoken a lot about a purpose and a reason. And I, I know for me personally, it was, there was a reason that I was talking to you, you today and it's been absolutely beautiful. Um, but if people do want to reach out to you and, and drop you a line or, or follow what you're doing or learning about the things that you're teaching through yoga and, and life in general, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can definitely check me out on my website at hopesavara.com and uh, follow me on Instagram. I'm always trying to post the fun stuff that I'm doing as random or as serious as it is. And you can just find me on Instagram at hopesavara. 
And then also on Facebook, I do a bunch of Facebook lives and uh, same thing again, just uh, type in on the search bar, Hope Savara, and feel free. I'll friend you on my personal page if you don't mind ki- pictures of my kids. Um, but also you can find me on my public figure, figure page, The Hope Process by Hope Zavara. Done. Well, I will make sure that all of those links are in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. And before we go, Hope, is there anything that I've left out or anything that you'd like to say? Um, you know, I don't think so. This was absolutely such an amazing conversation, Mike. I just want to thank you so much. And for all the listeners out there, one of my favorite quotes is from Steve Jobs. And so I'll kind of leave you with this final thought. And he says, or he had said that the only way to connect your dots is by looking back. And as I look back, I see why my dots lined up as they did. And so if you're listening to this today, I just want you to remember that there is purpose in all of your dots and that no matter how hard it gets, you should never lose hope. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much, Hope. And and I know that the next time I see a butterfly, I know who I'll be thinking of. But thank, thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, have fun and live immediately. That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.